Hello and welcome to the Hospice Podcast, which as ever comes to you from St John's Hospice in North Lancashire. For new listeners, the Hospice Podcast covers a range of subjects about palliative and end-of-life care. We cover subjects that health professionals, patients and carers want to talk about with colleagues here from St John's who work in the hospice, also in patient homes in the community. St John's has been providing palliative care for over 35 years, so we hope by sharing our expertise that we can help you with your care. I'm Sophie and today I'm joined with colleagues and we're going to talk about bowel care. Many people have asked us to talk about bowel care for palliative patients, which I find quite interesting in itself, as bowel care is often a subject that people don't want to talk about or they're embarrassed to talk about. So Annie and Josie are with us. Lovely to be with you again. Just for new listeners, tell us who you are and what you do here at St John's. Annie. Hello, I'm Annie Haygarth and I'm um, Joint um, Leader of Community Services with um, my colleague Josie and uh, that's what we do here. Great, Josie. Hi, I'm Josie Candlin and and as Annie says, uh, we are the Joint Head of the Community Services here from St John's. So, bowel care. I understand this is full of taboos, it's full of myths, whether we're talking about palliative and end-of-life care or not, why do so many of us avoid talking about bowels and bowel care? Why, why don't we want to talk about it? Well, we talked about this before, didn't we, Josie? Yeah. And Josie came up with a great idea and a great answer, really, which was... Well, I think we're quite happy to talk about bowel care, actually. <laughs> so I almost wondered um, what, you know, whether you two could both answer that question, David and Sophie, about, as a non-medical, non-nursing person, whether you feel embarrassed to talk about bowel care and why. Oh, no, I wasn't expecting to be turned quite like that. <laughs> OK. Um, do you know what? I think people think, oh, bowel care, poo, dirty. Mm, yeah. We don't talk about it. It's dirty. It's smelly. It's I don't know. It's something we do literally behind closed doors, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. It's not something we talk about. Yes, but it's a very natural process, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I think that it, by being open, which we are with our parent, patients, uh, I really, I really feel that it shouldn't be a taboo subject, and we should all discuss it all the time, really. Mm-hmm. Because what's normal, as you might find out as we go through this discussion from one person, might not be normal for the next person. So somebody's normal might be that they go once a week and somebody else's normal might be that they go twice a day. So you've got to ascertain what that is and um, and and just talk about it, really. Mm, yeah, but I think you're right. It's something we do behind closed doors and from our earliest memories, it's something that we are encouraged to be very private about. It's yes, something private, that, you know, that's absolutely yeah. the word, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why people perhaps find it difficult to talk about. So if I think about it from a communication point of view, because that's sort of what we're talking about now, isn't it, that we don't, we don't want to talk to each other about it. If you're with a patient, how, how do you start the conversation without blurting out, you know, things like... Are you constipated? How are your waterworks? How how do you start that conversation about, I know you two are comfortable with it, many of your colleagues are, but for others, a bit more private, how do you start that off? Um, I usually like to try and introduce it as a a sensitive subject, as in, you know, um, this may be uncomfortable, but can I just ask you about, um, quite often um, you might be surrounded by family as well as the patient. Yeah. And I have had times where I've, you know, where the conversation is heading towards bowel care anyway. 
And so I'll say things like, I'm sorry to ask you this in front of an audience. And it almost gives people an opportunity to say, don't ask me, <laughs> you know, please yeah. let them go out of the room. Or <laughs> it's providing an opportunity, I think, to give a bit of a warning shot that actually what we're going to talk about may be um, something that's normally not discussed. Yeah. And then do you find sometimes when you do start talking about it, other people in the room will leave? Or that's dad's business or mum's business or husband's business or do family members I, I think stay? often once you've started talking about it yeah. there's often relief and mm. um, okay. and often as a as a nurse um, people kind of expect you to ask these questions mm -hmm. as well right. yeah. so so when you say you know have you been to the toilet or are there any problems or they expect to be asked that in your assessment so mm. that makes it slightly easier from our point of view and um and as long as we don't show that there's anything embarrassing, mm, yes, often yeah. okay, it's all fine. I would agree with that. Mm. I think um, I've never had anybody who's walked out of the room in answer to your question no. about do families leave. It's really just an icebreaker how right. you introduce the subject mm. and acknowledge that actually, you know, this is, we're going to talk about this. Um, but I think, as Annie says, often it's a relief because this, hopefully this, podcast will be helping people who are not quite sure what to do in a situation around bowel care yeah and um that happens in in the in life anyway in, in the home sometimes people don't want to address those subjects with their family members so if yeah. we introduce it then it, it can be a relief so do you introduce it sort of earlier in the conversation so that you can plan for bowel care rather than wait until the person is saying do you know what? I'm really uncomfortable. Mm. Is it is it part of the care plan? I suppose for want of a better expression. Absolutely. It would be part of the holistic assessment that would, which means that we would look at all aspects of the patient's care, and that would be a very important part, wouldn't mm. it, of yeah. of their care. And then if there were issues or problems or not, we would plan for how that care was going to be given. Yeah. And I think you're right about introducing it early. Mm. Um, as you said before, Annie, about, you know, we they expect us to ask those questions. I often like to say, and whenever we come, we'll probably be asking you questions around this, this and this, including bowel care. So then okay. people know what to It's expect. coming yeah. and they can get more used to it with, with each conversation and each visit, I'm guessing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, then. I'm going to ask you this. We, we all know I'm, I'm not a clinical person, but... I need to know, if someone isn't eating much, so they're at end of life, they're not eating much, surely they're not going to poo much. Is that right? Well, what you're eating and the amounts do have a bearing, obviously, on, on your bowel habit um, and your bowel function. But we would still expect people to open their bowels, even if they're not eating very much. So we would still expect their bowels to move. Really? Because your body makes waste anyway. Not, it's, everything isn't just from the food you've eaten. All the cells in your body are making waste all the time, and that needs to be excreted also. So it may affect um, the consistency of your bowel, you know, your, your stool and okay. um, the amount and so on, but we would ex still expect bowels to move so it's not directly related to food. Food's part of it, but what you're saying, there's, there's other yeah. matter, is that the word? Yeah, there are other contributing factors to having a bowel movement. But we do often hear that, that people, people will often say, well, 
I haven't been to the toilet for a week, but I wouldn't expect to because I've not been eating very much. But we would say, well, actually, we would still expect to see your bowels moving. So we are concerned if you've not had a bowel movement for a week, if that's not your normal pattern. Okay, so it's back to what you said before about the normal pattern, whether that's once a week, twice yeah. a day, that, that, that bears a relevance to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, my next logical question, I guess, is, is this the same in terms of going for a wee? If you're not drinking much, you're not going to wee as much. And you're going to say no, aren't you? Well, again, the volume and the colour of your wee might be reduced if you're not drinking enough. You know, if you don't drink enough, your wee becomes darker. Sure. You would pass less of it. But we would still expect your kidneys to be functioning and making some degree Mm -hmm. of urine because it's a waste product. So, um, again, if you weren't weeing at all just because you've not been drinking, we would be concerned if you hadn't weed in 24 hours, say, or, you know, for, for a considerable length of time. Well, that's too, too myth-busted, isn't it? We've only, we've only just started talking about this. Yeah. I'm assuming constipation, is, is that the main issue or are there other things that you look for? I think there can be different issues as, as mm-hmm. well. There can be constipation, which would be an issue, but there could also be loose emotions and... Um, and diarrhea for instance okay. with maybe some mm-hmm. treatments mm-hmm. and um so it, actually it's it's not about expecting it just to be one thing it's about asking what's going on Absolutely. and assessing the mm. situation yeah really and constipation might mean something to one person and something different to another um tell me more we often have to explain to people um that when we're asking questions, we want to know about how often the bowels are moved, but also what the consistency of the stool is. So people might have their bowels open every day, but be passing a constipated stool. So we need to address that. Whereas actually they might think, but I go every day, so therefore I'm not constipated. Right. But actually the assessment that we do, um, which would ask questions around frequency, consistency, bowel, uh, Mm -hmm. pain, any, any, feelings at all, um, the type, yeah, that would help us to determine whether or not we need to um, apply any sort of intervention. So I'm interested in, in the fact that you said the pain word, and, and, and the reason for that is that when I said to a number of people, oh, guess what next, next podcast is going to be about, I was really surprised by the reaction, oh, that's great, oh, that's really important, oh, that's going to be so useful, oh, that can be so painful, oh, brilliant, let, let, let us know when it's out. So... When you say painful, people say, like me, other listeners, yeah, constipation from time to time, it can be quite painful. Is it the same in terms of palliative and end of life? What sort of symptoms, I guess, are you, are you looking for? Well, I suppose it, it, it's different for everybody, isn't it? Everybody's story is different. And um, it's, it, to be badly constipated can be, can be painful. Um, but um, to be slightly constipated can also give feelings of um, an upset stomach and right. maybe a bit distended stomach, maybe just not going to the toilet just as much, feeling out of sorts, that type of feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, whereas if you become chronically constipated, which would be over a long period of time, that would be when it would be more painful, okay. I would think. Would you yeah, agree? And it yeah. Might, um, yeah. The, the, the other things that might um, include pain is if people have piles, for instance, yeah. or any kind of um, skin irritation or slight breaks in the skin around the bottom 
around the anus because that's where they're going to be pushing and if they're very constipated there could be pressure and the, it's a hard dry stool that's trying to come out and that can so... be painful. And as part of our assessment again we need to try and determine if, if patients have any of those issues um, and also whether they've got any disease in their bowel which can tell us a lot as well about what the pattern is like and why that might be. So again, everyone's different. It's not one answer, one size fits all. It's about having the conversation. What is for one person is, 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 is not the same for the other. So, Josie, I can just, tell you want to say something else. Sorry, I just wanted yeah, to yeah. add in, just alluding to pain, because we're perhaps talking about pain in relation to being constipated, but often because we largely treat pain in our you know in our daily work we have a lot of patients who have pain due to their disease processes yeah. and then we are often treating them with constipating pain relievers okay and <laughs> um, so we might we have to warn people about the side effects of medication mm. because we, as well as assessing people's normal bowel habits we need to pre-warn them and this goes back to your previous question about advanced care planning perhaps um that some of the interventions they may have may have an effect on their bowels and we need to yeah. prepare them for that. Absolutely. And the prescribers, when they're prescribing these drugs, will be thinking about that as yes. well mm -hmm. and would often prescribe uh, um, and, uh, loose stool softener as well as a painkiller so, at the same time. So am I right in thinking that some of the painkillers could actually cause, for example, constipation, the person who's prescribed it therefore may say, right, okay, this may cause constipation, therefore, alongside that, I'm going to prescribe you something, like you said, for example, to loosen yeah. it. To counteract, yeah, yeah. the effects. And, yeah. That's, and that's a degree of advanced care planning, isn't it, mm -hmm. to prevent, it's a preventative measure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Josie, you use the word interventions. Mm -hmm. What does that actually mean? Uh, well, I was probably referring to medication at that point, okay. but um, the other sorts of um, interventions we often have to consider, perhaps, if people have bowel problems, if they are constipated, um, it may be that we need to examine them rectally in order to determine whether there's a problem lower down in the bowel. And um, if people are very constipated and their, their stool has moved all the way down to their bottom, but they just can't, haven't got the oomph to push it out because right. perhaps frail and haven't got energy, then by assessing them rectally, and that involves inserting a finger into the rectum just to see if there's any stool, hard stool there. If there is, then we, we know we can help that along a bit by using suppositories or enemas to soften the stool and ease its, its um, evacuation. Yeah. So stating the obvious, that's a very personal thing to do to someone, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, the word that immediately springs to my mind is, is, is dignity. Mm -hmm. So, Annie, without going into detail of how many you know, years you've nursed for, this is something you've, I'm sure, come across a number of times. On a serious note, how do you do something that personal whilst maintaining someone's dignity? Because that, yeah. as to me, again, as a non-clinical person, I think, gosh, how do you do that? Yeah, well, I think, as you say, having nursed for very many years, um, we become very at ease with that. But actually, we are very aware that um, it might be the first time this patient or person's ever been constipated. 
often um, if it's coming to that degree that the doctor or nurse would need to examine the patient, the patient feels that something needs to be done. That, okay. That's really the answer, mm, yeah. isn't it? And um, we would, uh, you know, always at all times be telling people what we're doing, what's happening, why we're doing it, um, preserve dignity. I mean, we, we're nursing patients in their homes, so, you know, we would be, you know, okay in the room, away from the rest of the family, you know, having a chaperone if they wanted. Okay. All these issues would be talked through and raised before we did the examination. Mm -hmm. So there's a number, listening to you both, there's a number of things, isn't there? There's this there's medication, there's examination. Mm -hmm. One of you, forgive me, I can't remember, said an enema was also an option. So there's obviously a range of things out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My One of my million dollar questions is, what if it's somebody like me or one of our listeners who isn't a nurse and is at home and can see that, you know, the one that they love, the one that they're looking after, is is really uncomfortable. It's been open and said, I can't remember the last time I went, feel really uncomfortable, think it's constipation, or it's the other end, you know, of the spectrum where actually it's diarrhea. What can I do? As somebody who isn't a nurse, what could I do? <laughs> well, I think first of all, if you were in the situation that you were so badly constipated that you weren't able to go to the toilet, or that you were having diarrhea that was, you know, affecting your daily life, mm -hmm. you would need to be approaching a healthcare professional to discuss with that with, and that would be your GP, your okay. district nurse, or maybe the hospice if they were already involved. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I think that you would need to be addressing that and dealing with it. I think it, it's important to say that um, although we're talking about constipation at length and mm -hmm. um, talking about things like intervention and all yeah. this enemas and all this sort of thing, that you know, often people don't get constipated. They they have um, they continue to have normal bowel motions and um, it doesn't raise to be a problem. But mm -hmm. in 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 a number of cases it can be and. Um, that's when we would act. So it's not a case of, just as we were chatting there, mm -hmm. I, was, I was getting the feeling that everybody gets constipated, mm -hmm. but that's not the case, yeah. is it, Josie? Yeah. yeah. So we are, yeah just we to highlight that, that really. No, yeah. no, that's yeah. great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in addition to what you're saying about, yes, they need to contact a health professional, but one of the regular things to be mindful of before their loved one gets to that point is, mm -hmm. is the regular medication, if they need something for their bowels, or just okay. being mindful of, bowel habits and trying to pick up early that if it gets to that problem where it to that time where it's really problematic then obviously mm -hmm. you need to seek help I think I agree Annie that it kind of feels like the conversation has gone to the yes the very intervention end which is is not you know yeah. most of the time yeah. we will be encouraging adequate diet yeah. and fluids okay tell, and tell us about diet and fluids then because again yeah. this is the hospice podcast mm -hmm. so yes. diet mm -hmm. fluid advice yeah Plenty of fluids, and by that we mean, um, although there's an ideal amount that people, adults, should drink each day, it's largely got to be determined by what an individual, particularly a, an unwell individual, can tolerate. Mm -hmm. And um, trying to be mindful of having fluids that um, water as well as tea and coffee. Not Tea and coffee are um, act as diuretics as well, so they actually take some of the excess fluid out of your body, and actually you need to keep fluid in your body to keep... Um, stool soft 
So water, fruit teas, are they fruit allowed? Teas, yeah. yeah, I mean a lot of people don't like water, but you could flavour it. It's whatever people can tolerate, but mm -hmm. we want to try and maintain um, a level of hydration that means that they don't get thirsty too often. If you're getting thirsty, you're already quite dry. Okay. So we would encourage people to try and drink perhaps as a matter of course every hour or you know try and have a routine of fluid intake mm -hmm. um, rather than just wait until they're very thirsty. Um, so also, regular fluids. Regular fluids. A diet that hopefully might involve some fibre so you know as balanced as possible but as we know with our poorly patients that they often don't feel like eating so much um, but anything that they can eat small and often that would just when you eat, you actually um, promote the process of um, muscle movement throughout your whole digestive system from your mouth to your bottom right. that pushes food along. So you, you, by eating regularly, you're stimulating that process. And by drinking enough, you are keeping what's going through your system nice and soft. You know, we often have to, have to um, educate patients about the two main processes of having a successful bowel movement is one to push whatever's in your digestive system along through the muscular activity, which is called peristalsis. And then the second thing is to make sure that whatever is being pushed along is soft enough to be pushed along. And that's where the fluid comes yeah, in. Absolutely. Is there anything else I'm thinking about movement, just because you're talking about it, it moving down the body. And obviously, as you said, you know, you've got very poorly patients and I'm sure many of these very poorly patients are, are bed bound. So, the mm. movement that the rest of us would do during the day is an option. Is there anything else? Massage, tummy massage, does that help or is that something to leave to the health professionals? Tummy massage can be helpful in that it helps people relax. It wouldn't necessarily promote the peristaltic peristaltic action okay otherwise it'd be quite hard massage i think quite you know yeah, yeah. massage i should say i just thought um, it out yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's a, but it's a really good point you you raise yes. about people's mobility levels because if you have reduced mobility levels then you are your gut moves slower um so if we were all running around all day then all our internal functions and organs and so on are, are moving at a quicker pace and our bowels included so if you're if you're much reduced in, in your capacity to move about, then your, your bowels become more sluggish. Okay. So we've talked about constipation. Obviously, you know, I've, you know, exhausted that one because I've asked you too many questions about that. Understand about talking about diet and fluids, about maintaining. Is there anything else that people can do in terms of, you know, looking after their bowels yeah. when they're very poorly or they're looking after somebody who's very poorly at home? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think, you know, natural products as well can mm. work quite well, can't they? So if people are still managing to eat quite well, mm -hmm. they could have um, some flaxseed is what I advocate, a couple mm -hmm. of tablespoons of flaxseed each day in their diet. And that can make a massive difference, actually, okay. that mm -hmm. type of natural product if mm -hmm. people don't want to go down um, taking medication. Sure. But, um, and it, but And plenty of fluids, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of the... The flaxseed or any fibrous um, foods work by absorbing water, so you have to give it the water to go. To okay, it. so again, not on its own, the, the yeah, two need to go together. Yeah. Is there anything else that you two are thinking 
we need to talk about that, Sophie's not asked me. Uh, just one thing I'd like to go back to, and it is actually going back to the idea of constipation, unfortunately, okay. I'm sorry. Um, but, and we've only alluded to diarrhoea, sort of, I was going to say loosely then, sorry, that was a, would have been a play on words. But no, no, that's okay. <laughs> um, we haven't mentioned very much about diarrhoea, but obviously people do get diarrhoea as well, potentially as a result of disease or medication mm -hmm. or whatever the situation is. Um, and um, again, we would encourage lots of fluid to replace that. If people have got diarrhoea, then they're losing fluid much more quickly than they normally would, so they need to replace that. Um, but just one thing that often happens um, is that if people are very constipated and then we start treating them with a more uh, an increased dose of their laxative, their softening laxative particularly, then they can experience what they perceive as diarrhoea. But it's actually overflow diarrhea, which is a sign of constipation, which may yeah. sound confusing. I am confused. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I am confused. Um, yeah. So if you've got a very constipated stool, then we want to soften it in order to make it move easily. So we often increase the amount of stool softening laxatives that people are taking. Okay. What can happen is that because that draws water to the problem, it's taking fluid down to the bowel area where you've got a solid hard stool. Um, as well as softening that hard block, it can still run out around the sides of that hard block if okay. you like, and appear as diarrhea. Um, so what I would encourage people to do is, if you've been advised by your healthcare professional to um, increase your medication and then you think it's going the other way I would say discuss it with them before you decide just to stop because quite often people think oh no now I've got diarrhea I'm stopping these laxatives and okay. the problem just gets worse and that would be when it would be really important to do the examination yeah. to check what's going on really and then you would find out that actually they were actually badly constipated mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so does that make sense? Yes, it does. Now you've explained it the second time that you can have it side by side, basically. And I can totally understand that you would think, oh, well, actually, I'm fine now, so I, yes. I won't take, mm. won't take any, any, yeah. any more of yeah. those. But that's not common, is it? No, but it's it just does it happen. Yes. It does happen. Discuss it with your health professional. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, you know, three of us aren't going to solve this. How are we going to get people talking more about their bowels? How are we going to make this hush-hush conversation something that we can all talk about? Um, I think it's it's a bit like some other taboo subjects in that it is being raised um, in society more, isn't it? We have far more adverts on the TV, I think, that address some Very true. taboo subjects. Yeah. Um, I think if we had to, you know, if we want anybody to take anything from this today, it's to, be, to feel able to talk about or to highlight any problems they're having with their bowels um, you're not going to be embarrassed you've heard it before absolutely. it's perfectly normal thing to talk about absolutely i think i think you're right josie i think it's it's going to take a while isn't mm. it over generations mm -hmm. for it to become more open but i think people mm. are talking more about bodily functions yes, aren't yeah. they than mm. than they used to but it's very important not to feel embarrassed mm -hmm. because we have probably seen it all before and it's such a natural um, function. Um, it's important that people feel able to raise mm. any issues about it. Mm. So before we close, are there any myths that you'd like to bust around this subject? If not, that's not a problem. But I think two of them, certainly for me, and I'm sure for our listeners, certainly around 
the ratio of, of the amount you eat and the amount you poo and the amount you drink and the and the amount you wee. Those were two, yeah. certainly for me, and I said for everyone else, is there anything else where you, you think, do you know, quite a few times a day I'm saying, no, actually, that's a myth, or no, don't worry about it? I think that we do need to reiterate about mm-hmm. that actually, if you're not eating, you don't need to go for a poo, is wrong. You yeah. still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the biggest myth, and that's, mm-hmm. I've heard that again and again and again, haven't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. And I suppose an important thing um, to say is to be aware of your own bowel habits, whether you're well or not, you know, whether you're okay. unwell yes. or not. Be aware of your own bowel habits um, and notice, so that you can notice if there's any changes and don't be afraid to discuss them with a health professional or somebody, you know, um, your GP or district nurse or whoever, um, if you notice any changes. Because if you if you notice a change then you may start to worry about it and it's worth just knocking it on the head, isn't it, really? And Perhaps putting someone's mind at rest. Yeah. And I also want to ask you any more questions, but I'm going to ask you another one, which is about where the continence nurse fits into this. Because, again, very conscious of the fact that, that you two work in patient homes all the time, so you're with people. And, again, I come back to this thing where if it was me... and. I, I know it's not all about me. If it was me, I might think, actually, I, I, I don't want my husband looking after that side of business. Yeah. I, I don't want him. That's not how I want him to see me. Mm. You talk about health professionals. It may not be something that the GP... Who else can help? I'm, I'm presuming continence nurses, yeah. chemists. Is What's out there for people? Because we've got to be realistic, haven't we? Mm. Some people may feel fine. Other people, I think... Nope, don't want them to see that. Don't want them involved. I think it's quite important to note that the continuous nurse is a specialist nurse who would um, come in to, at the request probably of maybe ourselves or the district nurses, if there was a problem that that was unusual to Mm -hmm. deal with. Mm -hmm. And then the the continuous nurse would then come in and give specialist advice on continence for that patient. And that would probably be um, somebody coming from one of the hospitals, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, and so that's a specialist. So that's yeah. a specialist right. who comes. So uh, the, the district nurses are highly specialised with um, continence mm-hmm. and they would um, deal with um, the ordering of pads and, okay. and things like that if, if that was needed mm-hmm. um, through the NHS. Mm-hmm. And um, what was the last bit of your question? It was really around, I was back into dignity in terms of I don't want someone oh, yes. to, to see me yes. like that. But you've answered, so there's the continence nurse, if it's something specialist, district yeah. nurse. District nurses. So the district can you buy nurses... these things from pharmacies? Yes, you yeah, can. Over the counter. Pads. You yeah. can buy it from mm. the chemist, mm. yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You, you mean um, if somebody was incontinent and yeah. needed products, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would encourage them to go to their GP and yeah. not just the chemist because they right. might be trying to manage something themselves with pads that actually needs addressing in a different way. So, okay, um, so yeah. there's a limit to self-care here, isn't there? Absolutely. If you became incontinent, um, yeah. that would need medically assessing, I'd say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you both very much. You're welcome. Really, really appreciate this. We really hope that you found this podcast helpful. Please follow or subscribe to the Hospice Podcast wherever you normally enjoy your podcasts. 
These podcasts are also available on our website, which is www.sjhospice.org.uk forward slash podcast. And feel free to share so that we can all benefit from the experience of St John's Hospice. Thank you for listening.